Good morning. Welcome to worship at Oak Forest. I have a couple of announcements to uh, bring your attention to this morning. First, and perhaps most importantly, we had such a good time at Fellowship and Ice Cream last Sunday, and we have so much ice cream left over that you are very welcome to come downstairs after worship and have yet another uh, cone or bowl of ice cream. Um, Our session will meet this Sunday at 12 in the Fellowship Hall. And finally, I leave for vacation later this week. Uh, My family is traveling to Virginia to see my in-laws for a few days, and then we are going to camp outside of D.C. So I will be gone for the next two Sundays, uh, but Reverend James Aidlot and Reverend Susan Denny will be preaching those Sundays. I know most of you know them well, and you will be in good hands. I will return after Labor Day, and my first Sunday back will be September 11th. Now, as we turn our hearts and minds to worship, I invite you to stand in body or in spirit. The Lord be with you. God is our rock and our fortress, our refuge and our strength. God is our hope and our trust. Let us praise the Lord. Please remain standing as we sing.
Our God is compassionate and merciful, knowing us with an intimacy that we cannot comprehend. There is nothing that we have done, there is nothing that we have left undone that can separate us from God's love. This gives us confidence to be fully ourselves, trusting that we can be fully forgiven. Trusting in God's grace, let us pray. O Lord, our God, you knew us before we were born and called us to serve you faithfully. You delivered us from captivity and provided abundantly for our needs. Yet we have forsaken you. We have abandoned your way and followed false gods. We are like cracked vessels that can hold no water. We are skilled at doing evil and unable to do what is right. Forgive us, O Lord. Reshape us with your hand. Renew your covenant with us. Put your law within us and write it on our hearts so that we may be your people as you have been our God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Sisters and brothers in Christ, promising forgiveness and all that we need to amend our lives, God rejoices when we seek wholeness. We give thanks that we have been fully known and fully forgiven, set free to live the resurrected life of faith. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Just as we have received peace with God through Christ, we share signs of peace and reconciliation with one another. The peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. As we prepare to hear God's word, let us pray. Almighty God, you know us better than we know ourselves. By your word, give us wisdom. By your spirit, give us healing. And set us free to serve you with love. 
We ask this through the one who heals in your name, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Our first reading is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then, there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame. And the entire crowd was rejoicing at all of the wonderful things being done by him. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading comes from Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. Hear these words from the prophet Jeremiah. The prophet is the one who speaks these words, telling the story of his call. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, Truly, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Vocation is an interesting thing. 
My husband and I were recently talking about the various non-church ministry jobs that we've had over the years. Yes, this is what pastor spouses talk about in their free time. We were noting that so much of our work experience was in the church with very few exceptions. I worked at The Gap in high school, and I can still fold a pair of jeans really, really well. I had a couple different summer jobs in college. One was working in collections as at a company that leased phone systems. Every day, I would work in a room filled with people working in sales. They were yelling and making deals all day long every day. I sat at a little desk with a computer screen and a phone and a list. Me and the other interns would spend hours calling companies that had contracts on these phone systems but were delinquent on their bills. Our job was to get them to pay up. That summer, our team was so successful that we got a large bonus at the end of the summer, and it more than paid for all of my books for the coming school year. That job wasn't, and definitely still is not, really in my wheelhouse at all, but I learned a lot of skills that summer. The next year, though, I took a different job, one far less lucrative, but much more personally satisfying. I worked alongside the director of pastoral care at my church, visiting shut-ins, making hospital calls, assisting in bereavement care and in funerals, occasionally leading in worship. I thought this was great practice for my future career as a social worker. Nearing the end of the summer, the woman that I had been working with said to me, have you ever thought about being a pastor? No, I really never had. I grew up in the Presbyterian Church and in a church that gave a lot of lip service to women in ordained ministry. But as a college student, I had rarely seen a woman in a pulpit or in ordained ministry of any kind. I had definitely not known a woman who was a pastor personally. So while that planted a seed, I really had very little imagination for what that could mean. Then back at school, a year later, I met with my advisor and talked for a long time about my passion for social work and my deep desire to see churches take a more active role in works of caring and injustice. She looked at me and said, Caitlin, it sounds like you're being called to be a pastor. No, not me, I thought. I'm quiet. I hate public speaking. I take classes in sociology and psychology, public policy and statistics, not theology, not Bible. But by now, this was the second time I was hearing this from someone I trusted, so I knew I needed to pay attention. And it wouldn't be long until I, too, began to sense that God was calling me to ministry. As I began listening more intently to what God was calling me to, Barbara Brown Taylor's words were a companion to me. She writes, To believe in one's own priesthood, meaning the priesthood of all believers, is to see the extraordinary dimensions of an ordinary life. 
to see the hand of God at work in the world, and to see one's own hands as necessary to that work. Whether those hands are diapering an infant, assembling an automobile, or balancing a corporate account, they are God's hands, claimed by God at baptism for the accomplishment of God's will on earth. You see, pastors often have the opportunity to talk about their vocation and how God has called them to the particular work that they do. But that can lead to a really limited understanding of what calling means. Vocation isn't restricted to professional ministry. All of us are called to serve God. Some of us have a call that coincides with what we are paid to do. Many of us do not. All of us, though, wonder if we are really the ones for the job. Can I possibly be the right person for this? Even as we sense a call to serve God, we question whether God is calling the right person. Now, we don't know how old Jeremiah was when he was called by God to be a prophet, but we do know that he protested. He believed that he was too young. He said that he didn't know how to talk, and the word of God came to him in the 13th year of King Josiah's reign, 627 BCE. He tries to resist, but by the end of the first chapter, Jeremiah is all in. When he is sent to begin his vocation as a prophet, he goes to the people of Judah. The word that God gives him to preach is this. Those who call themselves religious are leaving their faith in the sanctuary each week. It is not impacting their daily lives. They do not live out the ethical commands of their theology. And so they are headed down a difficult path. And they are headed into exile in Babylon. Now the message that Jeremiah had to give was a hard one, not only because it is harsh with difficult implications, but also because he was called as a prophet to his own people. It is his family, his friends, his community that he must speak to. He has to tell them about the destruction of their shared community, their home, the land that he has loved since birth, and the exile of this community. It's pretty natural that he would resist. Like so many others, he tries to resist by saying, I, I am only a child. Not me, Lord, surely not me. Like Sarah, who laughed when she heard that she and Abraham would conceive a son. Not me, Lord. No, not me. Like Moses, who resisted God by explaining that he was slow of speech and inarticulate. Not me, Lord. Not me. Like Jonah, who after being called to go to Nineveh and call the people to repentance, headed off in the opposite direction. No, 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 no. Not me, Lord. 
We read about Paul's conversion in our Thursday Bible study in Acts recently. When God called Paul, he had to first blind him for a few days to get his attention. You too likely have stories in your life about resisting God's call. Not me, Lord. Not me. There are many reasons that we resist. We can come up with almost any excuse if we need to. I'm too young. I don't have enough experience yet. I'm too old. No one wants to hear what I have to say anyway. I'm too loud. I'm too much and it puts people off. I'm too quiet. I'm too timid. No one would ever be able to even hear my voice over their own. My life is too complicated. It is too full. Well, my circles of influence are too small and too meek. Surely someone with more friends and more social standing could make a bigger impact. There is always a reason to insist, no, not me, Lord. Leave me alone. Send someone else. Anyone else would be better than me. Frederick Buechner, a beloved Presbyterian minister and theologian, died on Monday, peacefully in his sleep at the age of 95. He wrote on vocation and calling, living and dying. His words are a beautiful mixture of balm and challenge. Some of his most well-known words are his definition of vocation, the work a person is called to do by God. He writes this, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Your vocation then is as unique as you are. It is not only the thing you most enjoy, but it is, and it is not only the thing that best serves the world, it is that magical one in a million place where those two things meet. And so your vocation is not something that someone else can do. Only you can fulfill the work that God has called you to. And God's call does not give up. Even when we try to run away from it, even when we try to ignore it, even when we keep saying, no, not me, Lord. There is no one else that can do the work you are called to do. The Bible is filled with stories of God's presence with those that are called. Eventually, baby Isaac was born to Sarah and Abraham, just as God promised, despite Sarah's, no, not me, Lord, not me. Through him, God made a great nation. God promised Moses that he would be with him and gave him his brother Aaron to help. Even though Moses kept saying, no, not me, he ended up leading God's people out of slavery. When Jonah finally went where God sent him, the people repented just as God said they would. 
When Paul entered the city as God told him to do, his sight was restored. And through his ministry, many came to follow the way. Those of us who say, not me, Lord, not me, are in good company. And just as God showed up for them, the Spirit gives us everything we need to fulfill God's calling. But even Moses, who after leading the people out of slavery, saw the promised land, did not get to enter it. Even Jeremiah, who called people to repentance, as God called him to do, will be persecuted and experience pain. The one that we follow, Jesus the Christ, the Word made flesh, was crucified, dead, and buried. His ministry looked like a complete failure, even to his closest followers. And the women who arrived at the tomb and found it empty ran away in fear. But that is not the end of the story. Exile and wilderness, old age and youth, failure and death and fear, those are not the final chapter. God calls. And the Spirit works to bring new life out of every ending. We may not see success in our lifetime, in the ways that we had once hoped. We may never understand the full extent of our calling and all that God will do because of it. But faithfulness looks like answering God's call even when it is hard even when we think that we might not be able to do it. Barbara Brown Taylor says that answering that call requires no particular virtues. Those who have been marked as Christ's own forever have everything they need. But a good imagination helps. There is even a chance, she says, that the Christian vocation is above all a vocation to imagine, to see what God sees when God looks at the world, and to believe that God's dreams do come true. Jeremiah was called to speak the word of God, but his story began long before that, with the one who formed him and knew him before he was born. We, too, are given a word to share. No one can say it quite like you can. And so when God calls you, when God calls us to do the thing that seems utterly impossible, we can remember the promise that God gives Jeremiah when he is called. Do not be afraid. I am with you. That is the promise. I am with you. And so we can dream, we can imagine together, even when we are afraid, we can imagine what it looks like to be resurrection people who know that on the other side of every ending is a promise of new life given by the one 
who assures us, do not be afraid. I am with you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. stand as we sing, Lord, when I came into this life, which is printed in your bulletin.
to address 